Jude verse 2. Mercy unto you and peace and love be multiplied. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, what he wanted to do, it was needful for me to write unto you and to exhort you, that is a general telling everybody how to get with it for the army, exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith, which was once delivered unto the saints. For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness, wantonness, and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. That is the problem. Verse 4, let us pray together. Lord, I pray to you to add your blessing to the reading of your word. Your word is holy, it is righteous, it's all the things I'm not. Lord, I pray that you would just help us to learn together. May your word always be preeminent, be with us as we think about this idea of contending for the faith. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So we talked about this last time, Jude, Judas, name means praise. He is a half-brother of Jesus. He did not really follow Christ's ministry while Christ was ministering. Post-resurrection, he got on fire, was part of those in the upper room that are praying together in, in 1 Corinthians 9, 5. Talks about that he was known by other people as being a follower of Christ. He is now a servant. We call him a half-brother of Jesus, if you want to call him that. Uh, it, it, I, we know what we mean by that. We're not saying there's, you know... Half-brother of Jesus. Uh, so that's Jude. He is the author. He is the brother of James, the leader of the Jerusalem church, the pastor there, the author of the book of James, a little bit earlier in the New Testament. And we talk about, first of all, who are we? Well, we are God's children. Yes, I'm a sinner saved by grace, but also I am a child of God. I, I am a saint, according to that. Now, don't start calling me. You have, I'm sure there's not going to be a problem for anybody. Saint Timothy. We don't want that because I, I, I'm a saint, but not in the saint that we, in the lingo of today. The Roman church has saints, people who've done, after they've died 50 years later, they've been able to be appointed as a saint. The Bible says if you're a believer, you're a saint. So yes, I'm a sinner but saved by grace, but I'm, I'm God's child now. So in that thinking then, I can, with God's help, I can live righteously. I don't have to sin. The Bible never talks about written to the sinners at Corinth or the losers at Philippi or the apathetic believers at Ephesus. No, it's, it's to the saints, those who have been called. So three things we find there in the very first part. We're called, we're sanctified, we are preserved uh, in Christ, and that's who we are. Secondly, what do we have? We have mercy. We have mercy from God, verse 2, unto you, and peace and love. Mercy is God's favor to those who have forfeited it and who therefore stand under a sentence of condemnation. If I throw a snowball at Jeremy and knock him the side of the head, and he and he has one in his hand, but he's the bigger man. You know what, Pastor Tim, even though this is going to really make my head hurt, I'm not going to do it to you. And he shows mercy. Mercy on me. I deserve to have him walk to the side of the head myself for doing that. Not only mercy, peace. Much talked about, very little realized. Do you understand how many people are looking for peace? Peace, if I could just have peace. We have it. Christian, we can have it. And I'm telling you, a lot of Christians don't have peace because they're not tapped into the source of peace. They're saying, well, if I do this, if I give up that, if I start reading my, if I do all these things, you're going to have peace. That's it. You just got to risk it. You just got to risk it. I don't have to have those things. I don't have to have that. Just, well, God, yeah, he will give us peace. Not only that, thirdly, and what we're supposed to do. And here we are at verse 3. 
says, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it is needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith. Why? Verse 4. There's already the ungodly people in there trying to subvert. You know, Satan never sends apostates to islands. He sends the apostates to the churches so they can wiggle themselves in there like a worm. In there, not to do that again either. Into the church. And so when the time comes, they can start with this song, a little bit of discord here. Do you, the Bible says, behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. I, I praise the Lord for the unity you have here. May it continue on. May I not be a disruptor of the unity. May we, may we, may we serve together. Everything's not going to be exactly like you want it to be. Brother Fox told me, when I first went to work with Fox now, I think it's geared toward me. He says, sometimes somebody has to be happy with 80%. I've, I've told different ones, 80%. And I think it was for me, for him, with me. He has to be happy with my 80%. So it, sometimes you just have to be happy with 80%, Brother Tim. Yes, sir, I'll do better. Okay, there we go. So what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to contend for the faith, not be contentious. I don't see anywhere in there where to be contentious for the faith. We are to contend for the faith. He wanted to write about salvation. Can you imagine if Jude had written an epistle? We could put that beside Romans, talk about the wonders of salvation, etc. But God did not give him liberty to do that. Oh, God is such a spoiled. No, he's not a spoiled sport. He is not. He brings things into our lives. Can you imagine the, when the final count is in, Ron Hamilton standing before the Lord and all the people who have been blessed by the song we just sang, Oh, did you see how it's always, it's a home run song, by the way. All these trials. Oh, rejoice in the Lord who makes no mistakes. That's it. He focuses it where we're supposed to go. Lena played this morning. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. That is the key. If you're looking at the world, you're going to be dissatisfied. You're going to be longing. I'm telling you, the more you let go of the stuff, and get and let God work and grow and read. I took the challenge. I challenged you this past first Sunday of the year. Read the Bible through once. And maybe some of you are going to read it through twice. So here I am reading the Bible through twice this year. Maybe three times next year. Maybe four, maybe once a quarter. Woo! It's going to take some time, isn't it? Oh, but pastor, don't you have a lot of things to do? Not more important than spending time with God. It, it, it gets rid of the, what was it, was it uh, one of the old cartoon had Riff Raff, was that his name, Riff Raff, on the old, was it uh, the moose, was that the one that had Riff Raff, and he <laughs> laughed like that, wasn't his name Riff Raff? I think it was, uh, the, I can't remember the name of the cartoon, Bullwinkle, Bullwinkle, thank you, <laughs> thank you for supporting me, but Riff Raff, and he would, he's like, <laughs> thought something was funny, get rid of the Riff Raff. We don't even know about that cartoon, so we've already gotten rid of the cartoon. So get rid of the riffraff in your life. and Get rid of this good stuff sometimes. Get rid of the things that are... Does the Bible teach that? Laying aside the weight which is so easily besetting us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured all those things. 
Let us lay aside those weights. Have you ever played basketball with those weights around your ankles? Remember those? Does anybody else beside me, you strap them on there like three pounds? Oh, David, thank you, David. And you, and you do exercises, and you would, and when I took them off, I could touch the rim. Because, man, woohoo! That's about as far as I can go. But I, back then, in eighth grade, I could touch the rim if I took those weights off. It's like you could sail through the air for maybe two minutes. Then it, came back to, then it came back to the ground, except not sailing through the air for two minutes, but you had two minutes to try to touch the rim. That's called a dangling modifier where you don't finish up the statement there. Contending for the faith. What does contend mean? It's, it's a six-syllable Greek word that I won't bore you with. I will tell you that it's only used one time, and what it means is, exegetically speaking, what it means is a struggle for, exercise great effort or exertion in something. It means it's like two wrestlers, and they're the Greco, not, not WWE or WWF or whatever those numbers, letters are. It's the real Greco-Roman wrestling, where they're just struggling together, and they're getting a hold here, and doing all those kind of things. I don't know why I'm excited today, but there we're getting all those, and they're striving, and they just want to win, and they're, man, they're done, and they're wiped out. It's like me walking up, walking up two flights of stairs, just wiped out. And they're, that's the, the, but that, this is far more serious. It's, it's that struggle. It's to contend, to take response there, to defend the faith, take responsibility for, to contend. They readily join all kinds. We, we as Christians, we readily join sometimes all kinds of causes, economic, social, political, religious, etc. Some causes are good, should be talked about. Jews not talking about that. Contending for the faith. And by the way, if you look at the text there in verse 3, it has that, I think it's a definitive article, whether, I can't say apodictic certainly in the Greek, to contend for the faith. He's not contending for just a faith. Faith in, in a wrong object is, is worthless. I could have faith in this cup to hold me and I could sit on it. I'm not going to do that because it's got a lot of water in it. I'd be more embarrassed than usual. And so but I'd be a worthless faith. But when you put your faith and trust in the God of the universe, who's upholding all things by the word of his power, 200 billion galaxies. Heard a guy said there, there was two trillion galaxies. Galaxies, not stars. Galaxies. Upholding all things by the word of his power. And yet he knows about you. I asked Mr. Womack, said he, I asked him to get a nap. He said, well, I got started itching and scratching. I said, well, not, was that because of uh, Priscilla on your lap, the fleas thing? Maybe, I don't know. But Mr. Womack, God knows if Priscilla has any fleas, whether or not he does. Does he not? Does he not know how many hairs you're going to lose tomorrow in the shower? You're going to have maybe 500. I maybe have one. So there we are, and Mark and I will be together. Together, Mark and I may make two hairs lost in the shower tomorrow. So I don't know, but do you see, God knows all those things. He wants us to contend for the faith, and you're not checking your brains at the door. It's not like when you come into our church, please sign, put, sign a little thing here that you, you agree that no charges will be held against you because you're checking your brains at the door, and they go leave them here, and I'll pick them back up on the way out. It's just the opposite. We believe with a faith with proof. Sorry, flowers. Proof. That's what we believe with. It's the unbelieving atheist and evolutionists that have no proof. There never has been. If you read the, you might read the Morris devotion this morning from Days of Praise. Thank you. Yes, thank you. I've had three. There we go. One. Woohoo! There never has been. There never will be the missing link. It'll remain missing forever. There's no proof. 
I'm telling you, we believe with... Go outside tonight and see the proof of our God. Our God. That's the proof who he is. So we're to contend for the faith. Once delivered unto the saints. Not the ain'ts, but the saints. He's given it to us. The unbeliever has no... Has no uh, the authoritative thing. You go tell others. It's us. We're to tell others they have nothing to share. We have it to share. That's why we've been given. We may share with others. Over the centuries, various movements have tried to claim that they're going to improve upon the gospel. Islam claims that Judaism and Christianity have been misinterpreted, I said Jesus, and altered over the years. But the Arabic Quran is unaltered, really. And the final revelation of God, not the God of the universe, by the way. By the way, I don't want, we need to pray for Islamic people. They're not the enemy. Do you know that? They're, the enemy is Satan. They're human beings who need to go hear the gospel. We sometimes think, well, anybody doesn't believe exactly. They're the enemy. They're not the enemy. They are the mission field. Amen. Mission field. The enemy is Satan who's blinded their eyes lest the glorious gospel of Christ should shine unto them and they would be saved. Now, I'm still going to protect my home if one, a radical one comes in and wants to you know, murder us. I'm still going to protect my home. But the real enemy is the, the demonic spirits and Satan himself who are instigating all those things. Joseph Smith said call, he had the audacity to call his another testament of Jesus Christ the Book of Mormon. It's because he plagiarized so much from the Bible. But yet, do they not hear, need to hear the gospel? Yes, they do. The very concept of, a, of our modern thinking of an unchanging gospel just goes counterculture to our culture today. The idea of a body of truth that is the same for everybody? Oh, pastor, you're being awful narrow, awful narrow. Oh, my goodness, you, you're, you, you've been listening to yourself preach, which I don't, by the way. I just accept when for sure starts. I don't listen to my, I never, ever like that at all. Josh McDowell was speaking at a Christian school some time ago, and he said that 91% of the teens in our Christian Bible-believing churches, not of unbelieving kids, 91% of kids going to Bible-believing churches do not believe in absolute truth. 91%. Absolute truth is that Jesus is God. God created the world. The Bible is God's word to mankind. Sun rises, God controls it all. He made it all. In the beginning, God created the absolute truth. You jump up, you're coming down. Unless you have a, a parachute or a balloon tattoo or something. But the law of gravity. I just, I just demonstrated the law of gravity. Do it again. No, we'll do it three times. Don't worry. Uh, law of gravity. A, bull, a, bull, a, billboard, a billboard. A pastor saw the billboard said these words. Make up your mind not to make up your mind. Make up your mind not to make up your mind. And that's, that's the, that's the postmodern thinking today. The Bible, on the other hand, is just the opposite. We are to believe what the Bible says. It is okay to make up your mind about God's word. That is, if you believe it to be true. If you don't believe it to be true, you need to keep reading it. and ask the, the Holy Spirit to speak to your heart. It is true. 2 Timothy, please, we would 2 Timothy chapter 2 for just a moment. 2 Timothy 2. We are to contend, but not be contentious. There was an elderly gentleman, I believe it was, who said, I may be wrong, but I'm never in doubt. 
I may be wrong, but I'm never in doubt. That is not necessarily the idea here uh, about contending for the faith. Contentious is not what we're to be. 2 Timothy 2.23, no meeting for rhyme there, uh, no intentionality there, but foolish and unlearned questions avoid knowing that they do gender strives. The servant of the Lord must not, be, not, not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. If God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. Acknowledging of the truth. Now, there was, a, there was a seminary professor who was very brilliant. He was a defender of the faith, and he would debate the atheists, and he would absolutely destroy the atheists, but he also did it in the wrong way. So everybody in the audience was for the atheists because the, the very learned doctorate uh, teacher at a college would just simply, his, his spirit was wrong in the dismantling of the atheist. So contentious is not contending. So what are we supposed to do And as contend? And finally, why are we supposed to do it? Verse 4, back over to Jude, whose name Judas means praise. Jude 4, please, Jude 4. It says for us here, For there are certain men crept in unawares, who have just like, sliding craftily, secretly, who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness, licentiousness, licentiousness wantonness, etc., and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. So why are we supposed to do it? First of all, apostates have penetrated the church. Apostates, those who have claimed to follow Christ but have strayed from that or digressed or never, they never believed it in the first place and are teaching something completely untrue. But some years back, in April, the Wichita Eagle had an article called Apostles, Not Apostates, a BYU paper's ungodly typo. The article said this, thousands of issues of the Brigham Young University's student newspaper were pulled from the newsstands because a front page photo caption misidentified the leaders of the Mormon church as apostates. Instead of apostles, the photograph in the Daily Universe on the paper on Monday was the members of the Quorum, the Twelve Apostles, a governing body of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. At the weekend general conference, the caption called the group the Quorum of the Twelve Apostates. The mistake happened when a copy editor ran a computer spell check and apostate was suggested as a replacement for apostle. And so it was done. Mormonism has, is not apostate because they never were truly religious, the right kind of religious. Well, maybe, you, maybe you could say that. They, cl- they still claim today to be on the right track, just another, and they're not. And they need the gospel. And they're not the enemy. They need to hear. Why do we have people out in Utah and out west and going to share? And it's a difficult, oh my goodness, I imagine difficult, like the Jewish ministry is so difficult to reach them, but somebody has a burden for it, well then go and do that. We should have a burden for people, maybe not the Jews or those involved, but we should have a burden for people that we meet every day. I should have a burden, you should have it as well. As mentioned earlier, the apostate never is sent to the deserted island. He's sent to a seminary or a denomination or a church or a paragroup organization, parachurch, I'm sorry, parachurch organization. Uh, like apostates never announce to the pulpit committee, I'm an apostate. 
and I'd like to lead your church into apostasy. And they never say, I'm a false teacher, and I'd like to propagate my false teaching in your seminary. They never say that. They just come in, slide themselves in the place, if you would, what does the Bible say? They come in there, uh, it says, and crept in unawares, unnoticed. We find that they are singled out. It's interesting. I didn't, I've never heard of a fifth column. You ever heard of the fifth column in a war? The fifth column is a group of people who support the enemies of the country they live in and secretly help them. Our fifth column in America is growing, growing, growing. Fifth column. It consists of those who make a pretense of belief and they go through the motions and they might use the right vocabulary, but they and they might even practice the right things, but their hearts and minds are far from what it should be. And that's the apostate in the church. Secondly, they are predicted by prophets, verse 4, who were before of old ordained unto the condemnation. Look down at Jude 14. 14, and Enoch, also the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment upon all, and to convince all that are ungodly among them of their ungodly deeds, which they have ungodly committed, and all their hard speeches, which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. I'm thinking the word ungodly appears in there quite a bit. But they're predicted by the prophets. They're coming on the scene. They're replete in America today. Thirdly, they are dangerous in respect to their character and conduct and creed. What is the character? It says clearly in verse 4, they are ungodly. Pastor, ungodly people in the church, yes. Believe it. They are, they're there. Maybe they believe in God in some respect, but not the God of the Bible, a God. They reject much of what the Bible stands for and commands. And they see in a certain mainline, you will see that all across mainline denominations as of the end of 2023, 8,000, over 8,000 churches, over 7,000 churches had left the United Methodist Church over doctrinal issues. Some people have gone so far, I read this on a Wednesday night, but this is the Sparkle Creed read in a Lutheran church. And let us confess our faith today in the words of the Sparkle Creed. I believe in the non-binary God whose pronouns are plural. I believe in Jesus Christ, their child, their child, who wore a fabulous tunic and had two dads and saw everyone as a sibling child of God. I believe in the rainbow spirit who shatters our image of one whose light and refracts it into a rainbow of gorgeous diversity. I believe in the church of everyday saints as numerous, creative, and resilient as the patches on an AIDS quilt, whose feet are grounded in mud and whose eyes gaze at the stars in wonder. I believe in the calling to each of us that love is love is love so beloved let us love i believe glorious god help by unbelief amen given by a female preacher at a lutheran church in minnesota uh, that is that's what happens when we go to sea without this, knowing and believing the scriptures what happened to submitting to the authority of god's word <laughs> that's what what we need to do it is this is christ's church but a lot of the churches are just religious. No, they're not church. They're just religious social institutions meeting to placate their guilty conscience. Character conduct. Jude says they're turning the grace of God into lasciviousness, into a license for immorality. The Gnostics believe that no matter what the body did, it was all right because the body was evil, only the spirit was good. So your body could do whatever it wanted to do because it was evil. And your spirit, that's the only thing that lasts. So let your body do what it wants to do because your spirit was truly important. Gnostic heresy. 
What know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which you have a God, and you're not your own, for you're bought with a price. Therefore, let us what? Glorify God, because he's inside of us. It does make a difference what you do, how you live, the character, the conduct, and the creed, and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Sometime back in a magazine indicated that ministers in training represented in all major seminaries said that 56% of these ministers in training rejected the virgin birth of Christ. 71 denied there's life after, 71% denied life after death. 54% denied the bodily resurrection of Christ. And 98 denied the second coming. And that was 1974 in Red Book. 50 years ago. Can you imagine now what the percentage would be? How many reject the virgin birth? I'm guessing probably 75 to 80% at least. Deny life after death? I don't know, but I think they all would have gone up by now. So points to ponder before we pray. Points to ponder, number one, the extent of apostasy in the church at large, both in the pulpit and pew, is far greater than most Christians realize. Very popular today is called exvangelical. Not evangelical. Exvangelical. Those who have disconnecting their beliefs, they're deconstructing their religious beliefs, and they were one time a Christian. I'm not a Christian now. I'm just not that. They never were, by the way, if they're not. No, they never were. The honest truth, ask John. Don't ask the pastor. Ask God's word. You went out from us because you're not part of us. First John 2. Not only that, the current widespread denial of biblical truth is only a prelude to the final and terrible apostasy that will be evident when Christ returns. Now, the Spirit speaks expressly, 1 Timothy 4.1, that in the latter times, some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. Departing from the faith, that describes America, departing from the faith. And thirdly, before we become effective contenders for the faith, we must grasp our incredible position of favor and security in Christ. Now, if you were to come over to Karen's house or my house, either one, and you want biscuits, Karen makes great biscuits. I know I've had them. I'm working on it. I have a little bit of confidence in that. If you were to ask me to make a cinnamon biscuit, oh, I'll work on making you a cinnamon biscuit because I've had some experience on that. And so I, 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 I'm okay with that. But if you ask me to make liver and onions, now I'm just going to struggle with that because I have no experience. I have no liver. I just can't do that. We are to be defending the faith, effective defending. We must grasp our incredible position. Karen's a great biscuit. I'm just. I'm sorry. I'm back on Karen. Great biscuit maker. My wife taught me to bake biscuits uh, some 38 years ago, and she's hardly made a biscuit since. She's pretty smart like that. <laughs> So I've had a lot of practice biscuit making. We are to contend for the faith, what we have in Christ. We are to do because we've been sanctified, we're kept, we're called. We have mercy, we have love, we have peace because of what Christ has done for us. People who are insecure, marginally committed, and biblically illiterate are never going to be able to stand up to the onslaught of the evil one. If you've never made a biscuit in your life, I'm not coming to ask you to make biscuits. Because if someone has experience in that, you are prepared for the men's breakfast. When you have 500 men here, you're going to be prepared. Now, it's going to take a lot of work, but you're prepared for that. 
If you're not in this, you're not going to be prepared for this out here. You and I have got to be students of the word. That's why I'm asking you a lot of questions. So you'll go home and start working on the answers. So that, oh, is that Bible? Hmm, 1 Peter 3.15, and I'll pray. 1 Peter 3.15. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. And be ready always to give an answered apologia, an apologetic to every man that asketh you, asketh the pastor, no, asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. You're a call to be an apologetic, a reasonable answer for why you're a Christian. Can you do that? Why are you a Christian? Well, let me just sit down with you for a couple hours and let me sh- back in Genesis, and you should be able to to start ta- and share what God has done for you, what you have learned by His Holy Spirit's power. Let's pray together. Lord, we're thankful for this powerful little epistle. I shouldn't say anything about little about Your Word. This wonderful epistle from the Holy Spirit through the pen of Judas Jude. We are to contend for the faith. We're not to lay down our weapons. We are not to turn our backs and run. We're not to give up. We are not to stop doing, stop praying, stop reading, stop telling, stop going. We are to be faithful to serve. And it's not just a faith. It is the faith. Lord, help us to contend for your word and love, not in a contentious way, but sharing your love to others. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.